The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Welcome on in to the Batting Order Beat Podcast. I'm Alger LaFira. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam. We are a Belly Up Sports Podcast. We are what they aren't. And this is the third live episode of the Batting Order Beat or MLB Daily we're very excited. We've got now out to Twitter and YouTube. And Brandon, as I, well, first off, I should remind for anyone on Twitter currently, go ahead and hop on over to YouTube if you want to be able to comment. And of course, take part in Sipping Sour Grapes. That can be found anywhere you want. We've got a yo from an Aiden Waller. Yeah, it's my boy, Aiden. We love to see that. Love to see that. You want to comment like Aiden, go on over to YouTube. Don't forget to check out our Sipping Sour Grapes segment we'll be doing later on in the show. That's going to be over on the Twitter side. You can also text on in your sour grapes at any point in time. Just tell us that they're your sour grapes. Absolutely loving the Yukon. I'm sure anyone who's loving the Yukon is loving the Hartford Whalers hat as well. But Brandon, I've been kind of filibustering here. How are you doing? LJ, doing good. Uh, very excited for this live stream. Uh, you know, I really like that this is going to be a weekly thing for our listeners and for uh, people that enjoy the content that we put out. Um, it's really nice to be able to kind of sit down in a more relaxed sort of setting and, uh, you know, get to interact with with a bunch of people and just talk about the game we love, talk about random stuff as i believe lj that's our that's our first thing up to bat right is nonsense absolutely now up to bat a little nonsense never killed anybody brandon what's been on your mind what what's been going on busy week for school i mean two tests you know that's that's just too bad yeah it's you know the i'm pretty lucky my first two years at college weren't like in terms of like academic rigor not the worst um but wow junior year has been it's been kind of rough LJ I don't know if you kind of have the same experience but it's been feels like nonstop, just always something it's been something but I'm pretty sure anyone who's either in or gotten through college no longer wants to hear about college that's the reason they got through it Brandon I heard a little birdie told me You've been having some issues. You've been heated with a certain appliance in the room you're currently in. Yeah, it's this uh, these these power outlets in my apartment building. They have the the thing over them so that a little kid doesn't take you know a metal object and stick it in there and shock themselves. But when you go to put your chargers in or whatever, you really have to like push it in like with some force and sometimes. They, they don't stay in the wall. It's been it's been a little, you know, obviously first world problems here. I feel like I'm, it's, you know. Brandon just desperately wants to be the little kid. He no, no. Just in there and no. see what it feels like. Uh, yeah. Brandon other really, than that, really wonders what electricity tastes like currently. Other than that, I just watched Jake Cronenworth hit a, hit a bomb off of uh, Lucas Lickey. So. Everything is well in Padres Braves, tied up at four now. Looks like going in, or we're in the top of the sixth. Um, yeah, I mean, LJ, I don't know. 
how much you want to get into it now or just in general, but um, you know, you you were at a couple Red Sox games this week. Is that right? I was indeed. Yeah, this has been a very interesting week for me. I got to the first two games of the Pirates Red Sox series. Once again, we're back to business with me not seeing the Red Sox win. Um, what yeah. is their all-time record when when you go see the Red Sox? It can't be very good, right? Yeah, Other than terrible. your biggest win was when you were at the wild card game versus the Yankees. It's actually terrible. Like, I used to be able to count that year I'm off the top of my head. I'm not sure I can necessarily do it. But I did not see in my life a win at Fenway Park until I was a freshman in college. It's one of the most inexplicable achievements of my life to not see my team win over that long a stretch of time. But going from that, I, of course, go opening week to Red Sox Rays last or two years ago, and that's the game that went to extra innings that first week. Randy Rosarena had like four balls go over, go over his head that just easily should have been plays made. I remember that game. He was a walk-off because a Rosarena like overran the ball and ended up going over his head. That was not the first time he'd done it in the game. Cody Reed also, for some reason, warmed up for two and a half innings straight. Cody Reed, not. what a name. And that was like that was like the first couple weeks of the show going every day. And so I remember talking about the Cody Reed two-inning warm-up that just made – as little sense then as it does now. Um, but no, that was a great experience. I'm not going to go through every win, but that's the only season I've actually seen wins. I think it still would probably sit under 10, I think. Well, I remember that summer, me and you went to a Yankees-Red Sox game uh, on Sunday Night Baseball. The Yankees lost uh, in the 10th inning. Uh, there was... I don't know how much you remember about that game, but there was a home run ball that landed practically in the seat next to I was literally talking about this like two days ago. Really? Yeah, actually at the other game. um, Marwin Gonzalez hit that ball. We were so close, and that was like the one positive contribution Marwin Gonzalez had that entire season. Um, Came in that game against the Yankees. And then that ball ended up getting thrown back, didn't it? Yes, the guy that caught it threw it back. You can go to the ESPN broadcast of that game, the highlights on YouTube. You see us in the shot. I mean, as they zoom out, you see me kind of look up because that home run broke the tie and gave the Red Sox the lead. And while I remember like everyone around us, Yankee fans included, everyone was really excited because like, oh, the ball came so close. And then it kind of took a minute for it to set in like, yeah, like we're we're losing now because of that. Like it was cool, but you know, it, then it, you realize it, the actual ramifications. Yes. But, yeah, it was an interesting uh, series. We can certainly get into it when we're um, a little later. The my overall thoughts on the Red Sox so far, especially after seeing the catastrophe that was those two games. But in the meantime, Brandon, you're a betting man, no? Yeah. I decided to take a little bet, place a little wager on something I felt like was a sure thing: free money, basically today. Okay. Brandon, we have a sale at our school, school bookstore. Okay. Guess who just got his diploma frame for 41 bucks? <laughs> this guy. Diploma frame. I, I, 
they sell so it's 70 so currently they are we know for a fact we know for a fact i'm not going to speculate on anything but we know for a fact that they are changing suppliers at our bookstore so everything LaSalle branded in the bookstore currently is 75% off so people are just there's just a run in the bookstore the last couple of days i've already been in twice made three purchases um of various amounts of things and in the last one, I finally realized, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get a better opportunity than this. This is a $165 frame that I just got for 40 bucks. Now all I have to do is graduate, so I have something to put in it. Yeah, you That's know, we'll uh, we'll we'll check in in about a year from now and see uh, how how the second part is going. How the second part? Just gotta get, just gotta make it useful. Right. Yeah. Useful. But big bookstore guy, huh? Um. Honestly, no. I've got very little cell branded. Yeah, stuff. I have no reason to go to the Syracuse bookstore. <laughs> like, I think I've probably bought more. I've bought far more in my life from the UConn bookstore than I ever have from LaSalle University bookstore. I can tell you that much. Speaking um, of UConn, I mean, first I time I've really been able to sit down and chat with you about, uh, you know, the national title game. Yeah, it's funny, you know, it's we've been just going so strong on this. Brandon, of course, had some very kind words towards me the other day in our fantasy football group chat about it. But look, this couldn't have come at a better time. This couldn't have come with, I feel like, a better team. Because there's a difference between winning with a team and winning with a team you're genuinely attached to. Whether that is... The players, whether that's the coaching, whether that's the play style, whether that's a, like, say, 2013 Red Sox, where there's certain significant events in the city that are issues that kind of bring everybody together and make that feel good. There's a difference when the teams mean more. This team definitely meant more to me. It meant more at this time, and it just feels it feels really it felt felt really good and felt really fun to watch this team play up to the caliber that i really knew that they could be after those first couple months and i thought it was really interesting cuz uh danny hurley of course one i mean he's he's a fantastic coach but you know i saw some comments from him and it was during when you guys had that really rough stretch i want to say it was january lost like six out of eight games. One of them, Hurley got thrown out. He got ejected. And he kind of himself said, yeah, I'm a little too crazy on the sidelines sometimes. And it's actually hurting our team for a coach to realize that. And to just, it seemed like that the team chemistry that that he, that he's able to, to build is, is unreal. And our guy, Andre Jackson, LJ, I mean, we saw him play in high school and, you know, you could always tell he was going to be really good. And now hopefully he tests his, his, uh, you know, he, he could certainly go to the draft and be a second round pick. He's got the build for it. Um, you know, it, it was just awesome because UConn was one of the teams uh, this year that was good for the entire year. Really. They had that one bad stretch, but after that, they, really picked it back up and you know i think that at the end of the day uh <laughs> i like that that comment you highlighted you know at the end of the day it was very well deserved uh the national title but lj should we explain what's going to be happening in about three minutes from now yes in about three minutes 
we have a new friend of the show coming on in, Jaron Kiviet from at New York Mets underscore news, New York Mets news on Instagram. He's on Twitter as well. Instagram is his main as he'll talk about here. He's got tons of Mets content out there, loves talking Mets, and now has gone on to start putting together his own fan group and his own podcast with another minor league, not another minor leaguer, excuse me, a minor leaguer from the Cleveland Guardians organization. Really a bunch of cool, cool stuff that he's got going right now. So we got to sit down and talk to him about his stuff and the Mets. And Brandon, I thought it was a fantastic conversation. Certainly a great follow if you're looking for somebody on the Mets side. Uh, Absolutely great. I mean, tremendous insight both about you know what what he's doing and how he wants to grow that that Mets fan base especially from a social level and also just like insight on on the team I thought it was great uh what he brought to the table so at 9 30 that's what we'll that's what we'll be playing on here that was pre-recorded from today it runs about 28 minutes right around 9 58 9 59 we'll come back uh, and then we have a second guest coming on for tonight, and that is Kevin Wilson, who is a friend of the show, uh, to say the least. He'll be on to chat fantasy baseball and any other general baseball uh, talk. We had a really good chat with him last spring. It's nice to finally be able to reconnect with him uh, and you know chat about uh, something that he loves, uh, which, is, which is fantasy baseball and He's a part of the uh, Belly Up Fantasy show as well. So really excited to have him come on live and chat. Brandon, I got to tell you, with the way my fantasy season started, I'm going to need his help a lot this year. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 for sure. Um, I've, I've been down bad. I, I love this team, but I'm down bad right now to the best team in the league. And it's just, it's not a feel-good way to start the year when you're already playing for next week on Thursday. Well, LJ, without further ado, should we play the recording of our interview with Jaron? Absolutely. Before we do that, I am going to plug one more time. Actually, we've got a question for Brandon here before we do this. Oh. What's your favorite team, BK? It is the New York Yankees. Uh, Yes, lifelong New York Yankees fan, diehard to say the least. All right. Well, it is officially 9.30 p.m. We're going to hop on over to our little talk here with Jaron. And while while we're on that, while you're listening to that, um, message on in any sour grapes you have, anything you want to complain about, whether it's baseball or otherwise, you can do that either over on our Twitter. We did tweet out our sour grapes feed for the day, and you can do it here. Toss some of those on in. And we'll see you guys back here with more live content in a little bit. Please welcome our first guest of the day, Jaron Kiviet, the runner operator of at New York Mets News, found particularly Twitter, Instagram, especially big on that Instagram side, and one of the main leaders in the Queens Knights. Is that correct? Jaron, how are you doing? Yes, spot on. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. So why don't we go ahead and get started. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you've been doing. Yeah, so I started New York Mets News actually as we speak today, the nine-year anniversary of it. I started on this day back in 2014, seventh grader at the time, now a uh, college senior. So obviously it's been 
quite a while on Instagram. Um, started the page as a passion for the Mets. Didn't really think it would blow up to, to the point it has. Um, wasn't really in it for the cloud or anything. Just loved the game. Didn't really like the coverage I was seeing on social media of the team. Um, and now that included both like uh, the fan page side and also the mainstream media side. Didn't love what I was seeing. So I decided to take matters into my own hands. Started the account and it gradually blew up. Um, you know, Mets made the World Series in 2015. So that obviously helped uh, my account uh, boost up um, just a year after I started it. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been growing this social media page gradually over the last uh, decade or so. But really uh, this season, what I've wanted to do for a while now is kind of uh, take that digital audience that we've created, that digital community that we've created with New York Mets News, and make it into a real-life avenue where we could all um, express our passion for the Mets together. And that's why I decided to start this Queens Knights fan group. Uh, we just had our first outing uh, this past weekend, the opening series in Miami. Went great, sold out our first outing. And, uh, yeah, I'm super excited uh, to get things going with that. Now, you're talking about some of the coverage out there, um, both of us. Being in the Boston area, we know what Boston media can be like, but what particular things didn't you like about the coverage you were seeing around the Mets? Well, when I started the account, uh, it was in the middle of uh, the Wilpon era. The Mets were ran by uh, the Wilpon family before Steve Cohen bought the team. Uh, and the Wilpons made a lot of mistakes on many different levels. In my eyes, set the Mets back years with their dysfunction. Um, and, and ultimately, they are the reason why Mets are known as the LOL Mets uh, to our generation. Um, and I, I don't think it was really – I don't think enough people were vocal about it in the midst of that era. Obviously, now looking back, when you compare Steve Cohen to the Wilpons in terms of the spending, it's like apples to oranges. But at the time, uh, not as many people were calling out the Wilpons as, as I would have liked to see, especially for their lack of spending – Similar things that you're hearing now with, with the Red Sox fans in this market with John Henry. The same things, if not way more vocalized, were, were Mets fans uh, with the Wilpons and their lack of spending. So I just didn't really like the lack of coverage there. And then on the flip side, there are also people who are like homers for the Mets. So I didn't, re I didn't really want to be too negative, but I didn't really want to be too positive either. And ultimately, I think that's what a real fan is. It's like you want to see the team do well, but when there's reason to call them out, you got to call them out and, you know, that's just the way I've, I've ran the page. So, Certainly. Now, with the Queens Knights bringing this, as you said, digital audience and digital community together in person, how has that – have you seen much challenge with that so far? Or what were some of your big uh, work concerns with that going forward? Yeah, so um, what I've learned through, you know, speaking with different organizations on their group sales side, each team does it a little bit differently. Uh, for example, with the Marlins, we had to buy the tickets off of them and then resell it on their website. And I uh, had a few logistical issues in the process in terms of getting the tickets and then in turn getting it set up on my website so people could actually buy the tickets through my website. That was a little complicated at first, but we figured it out. And then there's other teams, like I know the Red Sox, they were talking with me about an outing that we're looking on this summer where we could um, um, form a deal where they, we could sell it through the Red Sox. People could buy a link and buy the tickets directly off the Red Sox, which would make things a little bit easier um, on my behalf in terms of the transaction itself because it's just more steps of the process when you have to buy it off me and then wait for the Marlins to load up into my MLB ballpark app and then turn, I have to wait like, 
two months to transfer the tickets over, as opposed to if it was bought through the Red Sox or the Mets or any other team, it would just be like that. Like you'd buy it and you'd have the tickets. So yeah, just kind of, you know, learning as I go, uh, how each team does it. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously always going to be naysayers and people hating on social media. So that's, that's another aspect of it, but that's not really as big as the actual logistical stuff. Overall, from a career standpoint, is your end goal in baseball? And actually, I'll start with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. My end, you know, it's tough. I feel like my end goal changes as I get older. Like, if you would ask me three, four years ago, it would have been like, end goal is baseball. Got to be, got to work in baseball. I, you know, out of college, I want to work either for the Mets or MLB, and that's it. But now I've, I've definitely broadened um, my goals, and I, I want to learn as much as I can about the overall sport industry. Baseball is my number one passion for sure. My favorite sport always has been. But, you know, I work for a sports agency right now, and I've been really thinking more about going that route uh, and maybe even representing athletes from different sports, not just baseball, and maybe even beyond athletes, representing actors and, uh, you know, musicians and, and social media influencers. I think there's a lot lot of opportunity in this um, sport entertainment space, and I don't want to limit myself to just baseball. But me being me, baseball has always been my, my number one. And uh, it'll be great to work for either a team or a baseball agency out of college. We'll see what happens. Certainly. Now, what about the Queens Knights? Where is, what's your end goal? Like, at what point do you say, all right, I've really made it with this project? Yeah, so I, I'm very entrepreneurial. I like to have different projects going at the same time. Um, I don't want to ever limit myself to one thing or one opportunity. So the Queens Knights is something I see as a potential uh, long-term side hustle. Um, as I build that up, as the Mets fan base grows, as hopefully the Mets start to win more and succeed more in this Steve Cohen era, I think we're going to see a lot more room and reason for excitement within the fan base. And I see the Queens Knights as ultimately, ultimately being a uh, long-term side business for me. That's what I like to see come out of it. All right, are we ready to? Unless Brandon has anything to add on this. Uh, yeah, no, I was gonna say to let's uh, let's let's get into some actual baseball talk here. Um, you know, the Mets are such an interesting team to me, and it's really been since the start of the Steve Cohen era is when the Mets have really just. It seems like the amount of headlines and just mainstream uh, coverage that they've been getting has uh, certainly gone up. You go through. Uh, the huge offseason heading into the 2022 season, uh, you know, where you where you add Max Scherzer, among many other names, of course, ends up getting, uh, you know, it was certainly a, a disappointing end of the 2022 season, losing to the Padres. Mm-hmm. Steve Cohen reloads and uh, adds Justin Verlander. And at one point we thought Carlos Correa and, uh, you know, even in spite of all those moves, the Mets have come out a little flat to to start the season. Kind of take me through what what the general sentiment was with the fan base moving into the offseason and kind of where it is now. Well, I mean, like you were saying, the Mets were certainly grabbing all the headlines. Uh, top payroll, not just in baseball history, but North American sports history. So obviously a substantial amount of spending, an unprecedented amount of spending. Uh, but really, you look at Max Scherzer and Verlander alone, that's like $90 million and a good chunk of that of that payroll. So I think the spending could be a little misleading. Uh, my concern with the Mets was the fact that they've, again, 
assembled a very old roster. They have the old, oldest roster in baseball. They're banged up again. Not really a surprise. They've had the same training staff. This, the same training staff people criticize the Mets for in the Wolpon era. Most most of those guys are still at the top of the training staff, the medical staff of this Steve Cohen team as well. And I think you're seeing it lead to a lot of injuries year after year after year, and it just hasn't been addressed. I know not every injury can be blamed on on the training staff. Obviously, there there is. There's always going to be a freak accident here and there, especially like the Edwin Diaz thing. Obviously, that's not something that can be really be prevented. But overall, when you look at the amount of injuries we've had, it's just it's just very like ridiculous. It's overwhelming. Um, I will say, uh, I think the Mets are are built to be very very strong. They should like like last year be one of the best offenses in baseball. If the if the pitching stays healthy, the expectation is they can also be a top tier pitching rotation. My concern, they did not – like you said, you mentioned Correa. They needed Correa, in my opinion. They needed to add another bat. They went into this season with practically the same offense and expected different results. I'm not sure what different results they can expect going there, going in there with the same team. Granted, they didn't win 101 games. But as you guys pointed out, like ultimately they came up short, lost the division, lost the wild card game, lost the wild card series. Didn't really make any substantial uh, changes. It's kind of plugged and played with, you know, DeGrom leaving and replacing him with Verlander or Taiwan Walker and Bassett leaving and replacing him with Senga and Quintana. Pretty much this, in terms of the talent on the roster, I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like it's pretty similar as it was to last year. It's not like they've improved that much. So I've, I've been pretty, I was even concerned heading into the season. So I'm not too surprised to see the early season struggles, but I do think we'll be in the playoff mix and hopefully in the NL East mix come September, come October, I think we'll still be one of the best teams in the National League. Now, you mentioned the whole Carlos Correa negotiation. Our take on it over the winter was, you know, we were genuinely perplexed at the fact that, granted, no team could really do all of their due diligence like Minnesota could, but to have multiple teams be willing to give this money and then back away, where was your headspace when this whole process went down with Carlos. Oh, it's an absolute carousel. It was a circus act. Um, it was very interesting because Steve Cohen has been one of those guys historically before he bought the Mets where he would stay away from the media. He wouldn't really engage with the media too much. Yet the Mets signed Carlos Correa, who already had a little bit of controversy with the Giants um, last minute, leaving, leaving their offer on the table. And then he goes and tells John Heyman, yeah, we signed Correa. This is the missing guy we needed. This is, this is, this is the final piece. And that definitely didn't help the whole situation either. I think overall the Mets got some cold feet. Um, and I was frustrated because I never thought he was worth 12 years in the first place. I never thought that would have been a smart long-term um, move by them. But I think what the Twins did, that six-year, $200 million contract for a Mets team in a, in a, in a window to win right now, why would you not do it? You clearly need another bat. Um, Correa is very close to Lindor, um, very close to the few other guys in the roster like Edwin Diaz. Um, he would have fit right into this team. Uh, and not to mention the Mets are a team that cannot seem to make a deep October run. And Carlos Correa happens to be arguably the most clutch uh, player in all of baseball. If you look at his postseason numbers. So I was perplexed as well. I didn't understand any of it. Um, even now, I think people are still a little, a little weird about it. I do understand that there is a, um, you know, he had, he had surgery on his ankle, I believe back in like 2014 and then he had like uh, a slide in um, Kansas City late 
in the season in September, and he looked a little shaken up, but he was fine. He's played 90% of his games over the last three years, so I really don't understand all the hysteria over Correa, but, I mean, I, I guess it would be hypocritical of me to be like Mets need to be careful about the injuries and then and then go at them for being hesitant about signing a guy who may be injury-plagued. I don't know, but I would have taken the risk personally. I would have done it. So, yeah, I think we messed up on that one. And you bring up Edwin Diaz again. Of course, has the terrible knee injury at the World Baseball Classic. Drove a lot of people who either already were on the there shouldn't be a World Baseball Classic side of things over the edge. And a lot mm-hmm. of people who weren't in that take into that take because of seeing a guy actually go down like that. What did you think of the World Baseball Classic? Overall, it was a great thing for baseball. We were able to see, you know, top tier talent playing in, you know, what felt like a World Series type atmosphere. I'd never seen Lone Depot Park that energetic, and it speaks volumes. <laughs> a sold out crowd like three weeks ago in Miami going crazy for the World Baseball Classic Finals to now it's like a ghost town for the Marlins. So I think that alone shows you the impact the World Baseball Classic has made, even going beyond the MLB in some regards in terms of. Um, the international market it bringing to the game, the global eyeballs. Uh, you know, there are people I, I saw commenting on my page from Australia and the UK who had never really had access to baseball like they did in terms of the mainstream media coverage of the World Baseball Classic. So I think overall it's great for baseball. What I will say is it doesn't make any sense for the World Baseball Classic to be played right before the season. I think it will be much better if it was played after the season. So then if there was some sort of freak in- injury like Edwin Diaz had, maybe there's a chance he returns the following year as opposed to having the World Baseball Classic right before the year starts. So if a guy gets injured, he's going to miss a, a good bulk, if not the entire upcoming season. So I think in the future, they should consider moving it to, you know, maybe like December, January after, after the season ends or even November. It's important to note here too, playing in March, you have the same worries about facilities and snow outs and things like that as you would in March. So there's not really much difference in facilities, but getting back to this winter in particular, the big story, you let Jacob deGrom, one of the best pitchers of the generation go and swap him out for Justin Verlander, another one of the best pitchers in the generation and a slew of other additional ads within the same money that Jacob deGrom got from Texas. What do you think of the money he got and the contract from the Texas Rangers, and how do you grade that switch? Um, you know, I have no issue with with what the Mets did. I think you look at Degrom's health over the last couple of years; he's barely pitched, and I think it raises some alarm bells when you think about. We just talked about paying Scherzer and Verlander ninety million dollars. Uh, you know, Degrom would also fit in that category in terms of a guy you're paying all this money to, who's pitching once every five days, and then may not even pitch once every five days because he's injured all the time. So I, I don't know if that would be a good long-term investment. I personally, obviously I was disappointed that DeGrom left, but I think it was, it was probably the right move long-term. Now, of course, in Mets fashion, Verlander gets here, had a fully healthy year last year, and then naturally gets injured on opening day. Um, so it seems like some of these things aren't even really preventable, at least for the Mets, but no, I, I have no issue with it. Um, it's, I have no issue with, with the Kodai Sanga move or the Justin Verlander move. I actually really liked our rotation going into the year. I did not love the Quint- Jose Quintana move. I didn't think that was a good move, but um, Sanga and Verlander, I'm fine with it. 
Um, you know, I think overall, even even on the Rangers side, I'm fine with the contract they gave him because they're trying to change the culture. They have a bunch of young players coming up, and they're trying to do what the Padres did in terms of having that mix of spending with the young talent coming up at the same time. If you remember when they spent on Manny Machado back in the day, and it was like 20, was that like 2017, 2018? They weren't nearly as good of a team as they are now. So I think that's exactly what the Rangers are trying to do with all these big splashes like, um, you know, Corey Steger and uh, Jacob DeGrom, among others. They're really trying to change the culture there. So I respect it. I always respect the team trying, trying to win. Now, let's get into the big topic of the day. Of course, another injury maybe brings some good. Omar Narvaez heads to the I.L., on up will come Francisco Alvarez. Overall, what are you hearing? What have you seen about Francisco Alvarez? Give us the rundown. Yeah, Francisco Alvarez, he came up last year, showed some signs, showed a little bit of pop, but overall looked overmatched in the big league. So the Mets thought that coming into this season, he uh, wasn't quite ready to take that turn as the everyday starting catcher. And that's why they brought in Omar Norvias, uh, which I was okay with. Um, overall, I mean, the, the, the ceiling is sky high for Francisco Alvarez. His bat is electric, um, and he has the ability, they think, to also turn it around defensively and be one of the game's best catchers. Now, I don't know if he'll do it overnight. He's around our age. He's like 21 years old. So I think people have to be very, very patient with him. But at the same time, a lot of prospects come up at 21 like Julio Rodriguez, and they start killing it. So in New York for a team trying to win right now, the expectations are still sky high for Alvarez. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see him. Um, it might take some time for, for, before it becomes that perennial all-star people are expecting him to be. But I think I think overall he's already proved that he can, he can mash in double-A, he can mash in triple-A. There's nothing left for him to prove there. So let's just see him in the big league. Let's, let's, give, let's give him the reps and let, let's see what he's got. Uh, you, let's talk about two other of your top prospects who many see getting called up at some point this year, those being Ronnie Mauricio and Brett Beatty. Uh, you know, how do you see them kind of uh, fitting into this team later in the year? Uh, and do you think that they could make an impact? Because these are two guys who are top 50 prospects right now in the MLB, to say the least. And we saw a little bit of Brett Beatty last year uh, in the MLB for the Mets. So do you think that, you know, you do mention how the uh, the roster is the oldest in the league, but do you think that some of these young kids could actually, you know, make a substantial impact? 100%, 100%. I think that was, the Mets will never say, but I think that was part of the reason why the Mets were maybe a little bit quiet on the offensive side in terms of their offseason moves. Maybe they are very confident at some point all the top prospects could come up and make a major impact. Now that's always going to be a wild card. You never know how a prospect's going to going to be. And then Beatty's already injured again. He got hit on his wrist, or he had some wrist problems the other day. But he's day to day. Overall, I mean, you mentioned Ronnie Mariso, and even though he's coming off a winter and uh, winter league MVP of the uh, Dominican League, he is being very slept on. He wasn't even a top 100 prospect. He's not even a top five Mets prospect per MLB.com. Uh, he's been killing it recently, uh, dating back to last year and then following up with an amazing uh, winter league and an, an amazing spring. Uh, he looks like a totally different player than what he was three years ago. Uh, he's had a lot of muscle. Um, he used to be like, like a thin, lanky, tall shortstop. 
But now he's bulky. Now he's kind of built like Jordan Alvarez. He's got a his swing almost looks identical to Jordan's as well. So I think of all the guys you mentioned right now, I think I am, I might be the highest on on Mauricio. I think he just has that it factor that it's you know it, it's one of those things where you watch it and you see it and you can't really can't really explain much more. But like when you watch the guy, you just know he has that potential because of just the excitement, and the electricity he brings. Beatty's always been a great hitter, um, and I think he will make the transition to the major league. Showed some signs last year, um, and I, you know, you look at Eduardo Escobar; he's really struggling. He's like one for his first sixteen to start the year, um, and one for his first sixteen at bats. So you're going to see as as the year goes on, there's going to be more and more pressure to call those guys up, especially if the Mets veterans keep on getting injured and or struggling. So that is something to keep an eye on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if all the prospects are up by the All Star break. Um, but I also understand that I think if the Mets wait until um, June 26th, I believe, to call up either Beatty or uh, Mark Vientos, their, their other top prospect, they get an extra year of team control. So that definitely will factor into the timing, I think, as well. I think that's also why they were probably left off the opening day roster. Now, I meant to jump in with this last section with a follow-up here. You were kind of out on the Jose Quintana move why I, I think he had he had a great year last year if you look at the last few years before that not such a great pitcher um and his bad bib last year indicated that he was i think he was pretty lucky um in terms of his overall um success compared to seasons seasons in the past not to take away from him at all not to say he's not like a good pitcher i mean i just feel like there's guys that they could have got probably for around the same price he would have been better um, and I'm just personally not a huge fan of Quintana. I didn't really expect him to make the impact that the Mets are expecting him to make. And then, of course, he's already injured. So we, we can't even see his impact because he's not healthy. So it's just a tough thing. I mean, obviously, he's dealing with a very, very serious issue. But um, that's not even really baseball-related. But, um, you know, I just wasn't really a fan of that move. Thought they, they could have done better for it. Now, going into this season for, well, obviously for the Mets fan, but more so for the non-Mets fan, who on this team that people aren't expecting really excites you? Um, You know, I, I, I said this before the year started. I mean, it might not be the most exciting guy, but I thought that David Robertson would be able to successfully hold the fort down uh, in the closer spot, even with Edwin Diaz being injured. Everyone was freaking out, including myself. But then I took a step back. I was like, you know what? Thank God the Mets brought in David Robertson, because if not, we would have had Adam Adovino closing every single game, which would have been another disaster. And I, of course, I, Not to cut you off, but I don't yeah. think he'd actually be closing every game. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> it, it would take two weeks for people to be like, okay, this guy's not a closer. So, <laughs> um, but that would have been their plan if they never got Robertson. So, you know, it's, it's huge. And even at his age, I think he's like 37 now. He was average in saves last year, so he's still a decent closer. Um, and, you know, now even having more familiarity with the NL East, with the Mets, after being with the Phillies last year, I think he'll be able to pitch even better. So I'm confident he already has two, two saves um, out of the Mets' three wins. So good start to the year um, for him. And, you know, I, I think he's not the most exciting guy, but I think he'll, he'll be a huge, huge, huge um, reason behind the Mets' success if they end up being successful, even despite Diaz's absence. And 
looking at the division race, you clearly have uh, three teams that are quite formidable at the top of this. What is your outlook on that? Where, how will the Mets fare this year in the division title? Uh, I you know, my outlook is Atlanta is going to be tough to catch, just as they were, just as they were tough to beat last year, just as they were tough to beat the year before that. I think they're pretty much the same team, and you know, in a full year of Spencer Strider coming off the year he's coming off of, they their rotation should look even stronger. Um, so, you know, I, I I hope we can I hope we can compete with Atlanta all year, but I think they're going to be a very tough team to stop. The Phillies, um, I think we match up very well against the Phillies and had, had a good amount of success against them last year. Um, and I think with the Phillies, though, the, their thing is they're not going to get hot until later in the year when they start getting some of their guys back, like Bryce Harper, and they start getting more healthy. Uh, I know their pitching has gone off to a rough start with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler not having their best uh, you know, openings to the season. But um, I think you know overall they'll still be a very, very strong team. Um, they had a huge loss at Reese Hoskins, but – you know, as we've seen, that's what happens. It's all you got, you got to have the next man up mentality. Uh, I still think the Phillies are a pretty deep team, um, and they'll be a force to be reckoned with. So I think, yeah, overall, I think the Mets could definitely be a second place team behind Atlanta and make the wild card. But um, I, I'm a little hesitant to say that we'll we'll be able to beat Atlanta for the NL East. If we could do it last year after winning 101 games and holding a lead for like four months in that division, you know, why would I say that we're going to do it this year? You know, with the start that we've had with all these injuries and the lead is coming up, coming out of the gate red hot. I don't know. I think it's going to be very tough, but I, I hope I'm wrong. Brandon, do you have anything else? No, I don't think so. Thank you so all much. All right. I, 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 you for having me. No, let's stop. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Hold up, Jaron. Let's yeah. um, just a couple more questions, or really one more question here. Gotcha. Um, you, would you mind talking a little bit about your podcast you've got? Because that that's a pretty cool opportunity we didn't get to earlier either. Yeah, so I just started a podcast uh, with Josh Wolf, who's a top prospect in the Cleveland Guardians organization. He's one of the prospects the Mets gave up for the uh, for that blockbuster Lindor Carrasco trade with Cleveland a couple of years ago. Um, and yeah, we've already interviewed our first two guests. Only one episode's out right now with Shane Baas, race pitcher. Um, we also interviewed Stone Garrett, who's an outfielder with the Nationals. That should be out very, very soon. And then we have other episodes um, coming out as well. We want to interview um, young players at first and then over time expand to um, other players around the league, eventually executives, agents, members of the media, social media uh, influencers, you name it. Anyone around the game of baseball who could have a very interesting perspective and unique stories to tell, we want to give them a platform. And overall, just about, you know, getting to like getting that personal side to baseball players that you don't normally see, um, you know, on the field or even with the media um, interviews that we see, you know, in the post games and stuff. So I think just a cool way for the players to express themselves and want to give them, want to give them a platform to do that. Fantastic. All right. Before you go, would you mind plugging yourself one more time? Where can people find you? Yeah. So you guys can find me on Instagram. The main page is NYM underscore news. I also have at the Queens Knights on Instagram as well. And then the uh, podcast Instagram is the Chatters Box, podca- uh, Chatters Box podcast. Um, and yeah, Instagram is my main. Um, and, you know, I, I'm all, I also post a little bit on Snapchat, this is, which is also NYM underscore news. And yeah, I look forward to more podcast episodes on the Chatters Box podcast, Mets coverage, and then uh, some more Mets outings with the Queens Knights coming up. So yeah, a lot, lot coming up this season. 
Fantastic. Well, it was wonderful getting to talk to you. Definitely would love to get this opportunity to touch base again. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Best luck with everything. Take it easy. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Jaron. It was great getting to talk to this guy. Certainly very knowledgeable and lover of the New York Mets. Go ahead and follow him at New NYM New York Mets underscore news on Instagram and Twitter. Certainly great, great content. Brandon, I'm sure enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Oh, yes. Uh, great interview. And, you know, go and check out his podcast that he does have with minor leaguer Josh Wolf. Seems like a really cool show that can lead to some really interesting uh, perspectives that you can get from around the league, especially with some of the people that they've already talked to. All right. Well, we're going to run right ahead in to our second guest of the week, a returning guest to the show here, our friend Kevin Wilson from Belly Up Fantasy. Kevin, how's it going? It's been it's been a minute. How are you? It's been a few minutes. Yeah, it's going great. We're a week into the baseball season, and uh, you know I'm I'm super jazzed. Uh, you know, college you know, basketball is over. The playoffs, NBA, and all that hasn't started yet. So baseball's got the uh, spotlight. So I'm I'm very excited about uh, baseball and what we've seen so far. So real quick, would you mind explaining what you do? Well, I'm uh, the one of the senior writers for the Belly Up Fantasy side of things. Uh, I cover whatever season that happens to be going on. Baseball is my passion. It always has been. And so uh, Vince Stover and I have a show, baseball show, that we do every Sunday night at 7 o'clock our time. And uh, also I uh, am also a co-host of the uh, Belly Up Fantasy Live football show that comes on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. our time. And uh, right now I am writing it once a week about a subject of fantasy baseball. I've been doing that for the past couple of uh, months or so. And uh, so I drop an article every week. And uh, if anyone is in the fantasy baseball, and if you're watching the show, you certainly are that, you need to get over to the Bell Up Fantasy website. There are tons of fantasy baseball content over there. We have some new people that are involved in fantasy baseball. So I'm very excited about what's going on on, uh, on Belly Up as far as fantasy baseball is concerned. Certainly. Let's go ahead and jump on in here. It's honestly, there still probably are plenty of drafts ongoing through this first week. And we're just getting out of the real core of fantasy baseball draft season from what you saw based on average draft position, who were some guys you liked, thought went a little high, thought went a little low? What did you see? Well, one of the, the guys that I thought was going very high, and that is a guy that, because I'm in Texas here, and uh, Jacob DeGrom was going, his ADP was in the second round. And that's, in fact, what happened in our draft. And, uh, and he pitched very well yesterday but still when it comes to health and him it hasn't been there 
And so there was zero chance I was taking him in the second round. And uh, another guy, a pitcher, uh, Justin Verlander, I knew that there, he was not going to match what he did a year ago. And, in fact, he didn't even get to the season because he's on the injured list right now. And he was going even earlier than DeGrom at the beginning of the second round. And there, and I was no chance I was going to do that. I was number seven in our draft, which meant that I was going back on the second round top. And I was not going to have anything to do with Justin Verlander. And uh, so I, I hope it works out for Jacob DeGrom. When he's right, he's the best pitcher on the planet. But you just can't depend on that. So I, either one of those two guys, I, I would, had no interest of, of drafting. Uh, another guy that I had no interest of getting in my hold is, uh, was for Fernando Tatis. And we all know about him. And uh, he is, in fact, in, I guess it's, what is it, El Paso or somewhere? Where El Paso, he's yeah. He's getting, is it El Paso? Okay. Yeah. And so he's getting ready to make his debut 20 games into the season. But he hasn't played all of last year. We know about everything that happened with him. And so he went in the fourth round in our draft. And that was not happening here because you just – He's a wonderful talent and everything else, but no, no, no for me. Uh, let's see. Uh, and a guy that looks like I might have been dead wrong about was Dylan Cease. I thought, well, I had him a year ago, and I was very pleased to have him a year ago. And he was a value a year ago. But he was going too high in the draft to me. He's come out blazing this and so he, he might prove me wrong, but I was, wasn't going to go there because his walks scare me. In fact, he had five, and his, it didn't burn him. But still, Dylan <clears throat> Steve is not a guy that I was interested in having two years in a row. Uh, and so – and another guy that went in the seventh round, Josh Bell, first base in the Cleveland Guardians, I wasn't doing that either. So those are some of the guys that I thought were way overvalued. So some of the guys that uh, I thought were their ADPs were too low. First was Spencer Strider, and he pitched today. And what I saw, he left leading four to three, but now it's four to four, so he won't get a win. Six four really- San Diego now they are falling Six, apart. Four. Yeah, they are falling apart, Atlanta. This is not good. So, you know, that's surprising because Atlanta is off to a good start. They're a great ball club. And so, but anyway, Spencer Strider, he was striking out everybody a year ago. He had like the highest strikeout rate they've ever seen for a rookie. And so I got him in the fourth round. And so that is huge value to me. So I would take him in the fourth every single time whatever comes down the road let's see a couple other guys a couple guys tampa they're off to a six and oh start but you would expect that because they play detroit and they play washington and they play oakland but even so two guys drew rasperson went in the uh, 15th round and uh he only pitched two hitter six innings two hits no runs 
So that's off to a great start. And his uh, counterpart, Jeffrey Springs, went in the 18th round. And all he did was pitch six innings, allowed no run. So those are two guys. And one that I don't still to this day don't understand why people weren't up on him a little bit higher, Luis Arias, the defending American League batting champion. Of course, he's in Miami now. And uh, he's first base and second base qualified. Second base is a wasteland. Once you get past the first five or six guys, especially with Altuve out. And so he's off to a good start. And he went to me in the eighth round. I think that's solid value there. So those are just some of the guys that I thought were undervalued. And one other dude was Paul Goldschmidt. And all he is is a defending, you know, nationally most valuable player. He was at the top of my first base rankings, but was only like the fourth guy ranked first base. I thought that's insane. And uh, I was trying to get him in the third round and did not. So somebody must have saw what I was talking about or something. Then they nagged him out from underneath me. So uh, if you got Paul Goldschmidt in the third, that's excellent value. Now, bringing things back to the Fernando Tatis conversation, because so much of the issues with him are, you know, personal issues, you know, playing a little too reckless, acting a little too recklessly. How much do off the field and personal antics affect your fantasy thoughts? Well, with him, it affects it a lot. Because first of all, you had the motorcycle thing. That's a personal situation. Then he was doing, you know, the steroids or and all that. And so that's a personal issue. And just, you know, the way that he swings the bat, I know it, 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 he hits a ball, he's hitting it a mile, but he swings that bat so hard, he even hurt himself. Not this past year, but the year before that, he swung and actually hurt himself. And so... There, there's a lot of downside when it comes to that guy. And um, I know he's playing in a loaded San Diego lineup and he's going to have outfield as well as shortstop, which gives him additional value, but not enough to me to warrant picking him and let him sit on your bench for 20 games. And you also brought up the – limited options there in the second base market. Yes. If you were to go, obviously in those situations, you want to go grab one of those few guys that's out there. But if you missed out on those guys, who would you have been looking for? Well, other than, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Arias, let's see, who do I have here? Here's one guy for you. The second baseman for the Cardinals, Norman Gorman. Nolan Gorman, I'm sorry. All right, and he's a guy that you could go out. You might be able to pick him up off your waiver wire right now. And uh, this is all he's done. Yeah, he's at 25% owned, and all he's done so far is hit 438 and has a hit in every game. So if you can get a guy like that to shore up your second base, you're doing great. And um, so there, that that's the guy that I lean to right now to go out and get uh, – I did pick up since I missed out on Paul Goldschmidt. I got Marcus Simeon of the of the Rangers in the third, 
and he's kind of off to a little slow start, but not nearly as slow as last year. If you remember, he didn't hit his first home run until the end of May. So to get him in the third, I thought was was great. I've kind of got two questions tied into one here for okay. you. First, right. uh, um, what did what did you learn from fantasy baseball last season that will help you heading into this season? And I guess also that has to do with how will the new rules, such okay. as the pitch clock and that kind of stuff, affect uh, fantasy baseball, if at all? Well, you can't say if at all because it is obviously having an effect already. And because uh, if you look at the, the, the stolen bases, right, opening day – saw the most stolen bases since 1907. So most of our great grandfathers probably weren't even alive then in 1907. So, and then I don't have any illusions that we're going back to the Ricky Henderson days of a hundred steals or anything else like that. But the stolen bases are up way. The success rate is way higher than it's been. Uh, I wrote that down. Anyways, it's over 90%, and it was at 67 or so percent a year ago. So the stolen bases are way up. The uh, The amount that they can throw over the first base is limited, so that definitely helps. The uh, bigger bases, I think, definitely helps. And uh, the no, uh, you can't shift everybody to the second base side of the bag definitely helps they can't put a guy in short right field definitely helps and uh so if you have guys that are lefty swingers even though the average is up a little bit it's not nearly as high as i thought maybe going into the season it would be but it's still early but it is up so if you're a guy like Corey seager who lost more hits to the defensive shift over the last two years than any other player you're probably you know still dreaming happy dreams about that and so I think there's going to be – if you're in offense pitching, maybe not so much. But offense, I think you're in good shape in fantasy baseball, especially if you're in a Cats league and you have to put some stolen bases somewhere. That's going to be a help to you. And as far what did I learn? Well, I'm a little impulsive, uh, impatient, yeah, I guess you could say. So if a guy is not performing in the past, I would just flush him and then and get somebody else. So, and uh, I got a question about Sean Murphy, the Atlanta Braves catcher, who is off to a pretty terrible start, but he's Sean Murphy. So if you have him, somebody was asking, should I drop him? No, you should not drop him because he's going to get it together. So... If, if you have players that, that are stars, have a little patience. And that was also a question I got was, how much leash do you give a, a pitcher that pitches poorly? Well, that depends on the pitcher. And so if he's at the bottom of your, like Michael Kopech of the, of the White Sox, I was pretty high on, but he got drilled in his first start. And I thought, well, I'll just hold on to him. But then... I needed some bench space, so I went ahead and cut him. But you still, I think that you need to have a little patience with some of these guys. 
and 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 see how things are going to work out that might help you out season long to have a season long look at your fantasy team instead of just this week or next week i'm going to go ahead i've got i'll take the next question but before i jump into that let's just make a quick reminder here for everybody in our youtube audience if you have any questions for kevin go ahead and drop them in the chat go ahead and put that comment in and we'll get to them pretty soon but talking about the how much of a leash do you give a guy anthony rendon i'm gonna preface okay go ahead i'm gonna preface with i already caught him okay okay the suspensions the suspension issues the off off the field antic type situation and already having a knee injury, how much leash do you give a guy who really hasn't been a star in several years? I would give that guy zero leash because ever since he's left Washington, he has been a bust of massive proportions. And uh, in the past, a lot because he was hurt. So I guess you can't blame that on him, but that's a track record that's going back a couple of years now. Then you add in the fact that he's grabbing fans while he's walking to the clubhouse. You no, you can't have that. I'm not having it. I would I would have not drafted him with my last draft pick, let alone anything else. So so yeah, so if you've got him, you cut him to the to the curb right now. All right. And then another interesting uh thought I had maybe really more towards the fantasy strategy side of things. A lot of these leagues now, I'd say a typical size would be 10 or 12 pitchers to be on your roster. How many of those spots are you streaming for starts between two start pitchers and rotated guys through? Well, I've got on my roster, I've got 12 pitcher, I believe. And uh, so those are some of the guys that that I might be – like like Michael Kopech, like I mentioned, that I could cut him and bring in some guys. And that's one of the things that you need to be aware of is who is coming up to have a two-start week. And so not only that, but who are they facing? And so there are some guys, we might get into this a little bit later, I guess, but there there are some pitchers coming up next week who have two starts. And some of those guys I really like. So that's one of the things that uh, and there there's places that will tell you if you check it out, like fantasy pros or somewhere that, that, cause I get an email from them every once in a while that says, you know, these are the two starter guys coming up. And so pay attention to that. And cause you can make one move. And if you're in a league that has unlimited moves, like I am, then you could make one move and get yourself pretty much two starting pitchers in one. So that's the kind of thing that I that I like. I like those streamers do have a place in fantasy baseball. You just have to be aware, like in our league, there's a starter's limit. That if you reach that limit before the end of the scoring period, you will get no more starters. So be aware of that, because I learned that lesson the hard way when I first started, because nobody told me how to play fantasy baseball. It was I learned it on the fly. And uh, there was one week where I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, wait, I, I, I can't use a starter. What What is going on here? And it was all red and it was it was real angry looking. So 
<laughs> don't let that happen to you. I think that most leagues, if not all, have a starter's limit that you can use. So just be aware of that limit and don't exceed it. Otherwise, no starters for you. And this is kind of an interesting uh, topic, and we're kind of uh, just going a little bit all over the place here. But for the people who maybe necessarily haven't tried fantasy baseball yet, looking to get into it, what are some other, you know, early things you wish you'd learned before you gotten into? Well, for me, one of the things that I – because when I first did my first draft, there were relief pitchers all over the place. And, and on my fantasy team, relief pitchers really have no place on my roster because I know there's an upside that they can pitch more than once a week and all that, but you don't know when they're going to pitch. And then when they do pitch, let's say you got a guy comes in and it's three to two and he gives up a, a walk to the first guy. And then the next dude hits a home run. Not only is you lose, that's negative five points. Then you get a negative five points because he blew the save. Then you get negative points because of the hits and negative points because of the runs. Next thing you know, you're down 14 points. That's pretty hard to come back from. So typically I will have just one guy maybe on a, a relief pitcher on, on the roster. And that started off really well for me last year because I took Josh Hader. And that was gangbusters until things fell completely apart. So... No. So that's that's what I've learned. Other people might argue that point, but relief pitchers I really don't have a use for. It's funny you mentioned that. Um, overall, actually, this is a good question. What's been your favorite um, operating system to use between like the ESPNs, the CBSs of the world? What's been your favorite to run with? Uh, I like uh, ESPN, and there's a lot of people that don't like it. But it's to me, it's easy to use, and it tells you who your starters are. It tells you, it even sometimes it's irritating, but you know it's nice to get that it says that so and so is starting in your starting lineup, but is no not starting today. So that's kind of nice to know, especially games that start at twelve my time. Yeah. You know, so it gives you. Uh, tidbits like that so you can possibly make moves because once the game starts you're locked and so uh and last year one of the things i liked about espn because i had the first pick in the draft and that has to do with shohei otani and at espn shohei otani is one player and yahoo he is two separate players that you would have to have two roster spots to have mm -hmm. him and so that makes no sense to me whatsoever. And so in any league that is he's one player, he is the first pick in the draft. And if you suggest otherwise, then you know we're you know, we'll have a discussion about that because Aaron Judge was awesome last year, but Shohei Otani beat him by three hundred fantasy points last year. So that's one of the huge differences between like ESPN and Yahoo that I have seen. I hear, I haven't really messed with CB, uh, CBS sleeper. I have, I've messed with that a little bit, but ESPN to me is the best one. 
Yeah, you don't want to bother with CBS. I uh, unfortunately have my league over there, and you reminded me of this story with the relief pitchers situation because last year, as my first year in this league, I hadn't see, noticed in the rules that it didn't have points for holds, and in the draft settings shows like seven spots for relief pitchers. Apparently, you can you have an infinite amount of pitchers you can draft, but that's starting and relief, but it showed like 10 spots for starting pitchers and 10 spots for relievers. Next thing you know, I'm five relievers into drafting when I find out that I did not have to fill half those spots. Right. So it's certainly not the uh, best operating system. You bring up Aaron Judge, though, yes. in that Shohei Otani conversation. Is that a guy you think that can hold up in the fantasy conversation for a second year after the great time he had? Well, there's zero chance he's going to hit 62 home runs. But if he gives you 40 or 45, something like that, that that's still – that's a lot. Yeah. And he's left those injuries before, you know, that he had earlier in his career. He's played two full seasons in a row now. And so – and he hits in New York. He's got an excellent lineup around him. So uh, – Aaron Judge is a guy that I would have taken at number seven, but he went the pick before me, so I didn't get him. And uh, I think every chance that he's going to have a great year, but not – he can't. You know, that that's one of those years where it's a generational season, and so he's not going to come close to the, those numbers ever again. Brandon, do you have anything else here for Kevin? Uh, yeah, I think one more question, and it's a little less on the fantasy baseball side and more just general MLB fandom. Take us through your favorite team. Here's what I'll do. Your favorite team, um, a bold prediction about your team or just any player that, that, that you have, and then World Series pick. How about that? All right, so my favorite team will become – and very obvious because that is the Dodgers. Even though I'm in Texas, I've been a Dodgers fan since I was in high school. So even though I've been around the country, I've moved all, I've been to a lot of baseball games all over the country, but Dodgers is the team I go back to. And I don't know how hot this uh, prediction might be, but the Dodgers, I think, are in real danger of not winning their division this year. And that is. I know they didn't win it two years ago, but the Giants had to win 107 games to stop that. So they've won eight of the last nine divisions. But San Diego, I know they're the little redheaded stepchild, you know, in the past to the Dodgers. But they beat them a year ago, and it seems like they signed every player under the sun. So if they play up to their potential, I think the Padres win the division. The Dodgers certainly can they'll make the playoffs. There's no question about that. And so a home player that I like this year is Noah Syndergaard. And uh, I think that he's back to uh, throwing, you know, the Thor's hammer out there. And uh, so I think he's up for a big year. And uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. And I'm glad that they've got rid of some of the, like uh, like Turner is in Boston, and he was you know he was going the wrong direction, and so uh, they needed to do some purging 
They really didn't sign anybody this year. J.D. Martinez does not move the needle for me, even though because you know, he's only a D.H. And uh, I'm in a league that does have a D.H. slot which I think because every team has one now, so every league should have a DA slot, but still that limits your where you can put, you know, a guy. If that's all he does is DH. Something like, like Nelson Cruz, he's on his last leg. So players like that don't have a, a real need on a, on a fantasy team to me. So they're, they're getting themselves younger. And a, and a bold prediction, I think, that, they are going to throw everything they can to the Angels' direction to get Shohei Otani. If they don't do it before the trade deadline, they're going to do it next offseason. Certainly one of the few teams that's properly equipped to get him and pay him. Uh, yes, they can pay him. They've got the prospects. But that's one of the things that's overlooked about the Dodgers. Everybody said, oh, they spend all this money, which they do. But they've got an excellent farm system underneath all of that. So they can give them some prospects. They can give them, you know, pretty much, you know, just tell us what you want. You just, you know, you're not going to get Dodger Stadium. But just about anything else we can talk about. That's fantastic. All right, before we wrap up here, Kevin, would you mind plugging yourself one more time? Where can we find you? Well, you can always find me on Twitter at – uh, K W I L S E A. That's, uh, that's my Twitter handle. And, uh, I, I adopted that because I'm a Seahawk fan. And so I thought we'll see was, was kind of, kind of, you know, interesting and, you know, I will see. So I, I adopted that. And, uh, if you get to the belly up fantasy, uh, website, you can find my stories all over the place over there as we, uh, we did our draft. It was live on TV. And then I wrote an article that reviewed the picks and what you know, I thought about that. Then I wrote a, another article about a post draft pickups. And uh, so, like I said, there's all kinds of articles from me on the Elliott fantasy side. And uh, as I said, that uh, if you want to, if you're into football, you can at 10 AM Sunday morning, the Elliott fantasy live, football show is on it's on twitter it's on youtube and all that and then at seven o'clock sunday nights vince stover and i do the uh the uh sports stove baseball fantasy show so just you know get over to the belly of fantasy you'll find me just 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 look you'll see me over there all right fantastic Kevin, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. You have a great evening, and we we'll hope to see you soon. Yep, just, you know, just call me up or you know whatever, and I'll be on. Awesome. Thank you. You have a great right. time. Bye. Thank you. Huge thank you to our buddy Kevin Wilson. Honestly, just a great conversation and a great member of the Belly Up family every single time we've had him on. Absolutely. Yeah. Always love having him on and provides a fantasy baseball insight that certainly I, I couldn't provide as much as I love the sport. Fantasy has always been like, I like playing fantasy, but I can't nearly stay as locked in as with something like fantasy football. It's very weird for me, even though I'm more locked into the MLB like season, 
you know? Certainly. Brandon, we've got some comments here that have been sitting, they've basically been sitting effectively an hour for us to talk about here sure. as we've been running through with these fantastic interviews. Let's start with, I think, the most interesting topic here from Andrew Hennessy. What's Gary Sanchez been up to these days? Obviously, we talked about um, this, well, gosh, was that yesterday? yesterday's show or the day before monday's, monday's show monday's. It was monday's show we were talking about him signing a minor league contract with the giants but i feel like the story of this all isn't the fact that they signed a minor league contract with the giants which those clips will be coming up to youtube in the coming days so stick with those come up to those soon the question isn't the fact that he signed and what that means for joey bart as much as why on earth have they not brought him up yet why have they not cleared that 40 man spot Keep in mind here, they don't really have another option on the 40-man that is that worth it, unless you were going to bring up maybe an Austin wins. But uh, how long is Joey Bart out for? Is that is it confirmed? Because Joey Bart is on, on the 10-day. Because you can't clear a 40-man spot unless you move him to the 60. I wasn't saying Joey Bart was the guy who you – Oh, oh, okay. You – you're saying just uh, DFA someone else. I'm saying in general, it's already it's already a lacking for a move that's lacking foresight to only have two catchers on your 40 man, and yeah, you know the to only have one on your active roster at a, any given point in time is also, you know, it it could very well end up being a serious problem. Do so, like, they even have an emergency guy? Like, yeah, I, I'm trying to look at names here to see if any of these guys have ever caught. I can't Maybe think of like any of these IKF guys. situation, you know, like. Yeah, yeah that's. Why else would you be banking on an IKF situation, right? No, like, I, no, absolutely not. But also, he hasn't gotten an at-bat for the AAA team yet either. So, so um, he might not have even come in yet. Right, is what I'm thinking, because right here on Fangraphs, where it shows, like, AAA plate appearances, it, it's just blank. So, I mean, I can look somewhere else, but, yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, the Giants, LJ and I think that they're very well run. Farhan Zahidi is a very smart GM and head of baseball operations there. But to only have Roberto Perez on your active roster uh, seems – a little strange uh and they did win big today they brought in who did they have pitching they had they had some uh position player pitching with like they were up 16 to 3 or something well yeah i was gonna say they didn't have the position player pitching the whole game yeah no uh well that would be it's Emphasize, they had matt Beatty. Matt, oh, the RBI man, LJ. Yes, Matt, the RBI man, BD, allowed three earned over one innings, one inning pitched. Did strike out. Strikeout, yeah. <laughs> he struck um, out Oscar Colas, I think. Interestingly enough, a guy I have not heard from in way, way too long as um, Alex Wood gets kind of chased early here, Jake Junis getting his second win of the year. Four innings, two hits, two walks, four strikeouts. Jake Junis, yeah, wow, Kansas City. Um, LJ, are you tuned into this Braves Padres game at all? I do not. I do not get it. 
Oh, very unfortunate. We got bottom nine right now. Tie game. Nabil Krismat pitching for San Diego and Eddie Rosario up with two outs, three and one count. Fantastic stuff here. Never a dull moment of baseball. No, um, I have, of course I should, not. I should have said I do have it on game day, though. Um, oh, another nice changeup from Krismat. Three and two. Here we go. Biggest pitch of the game, LJ. If you missed that, if you missed the whole game, this is what you want. Three and two, two outs, tied in the ninth. Brandon, bring us home. Rosario rips one down the line to right field. It's deep into the corner, and that's going to be a double with two outs. The Braves keep the rally alive. Fantastic. And that's just a little bit of baseball for you now up to bat on. Oh, yeah. MLB Daily. We got to see this through to the end, LJ. LJ, we got to see this game through to the end. This This is great content right here. Certainly, I can't believe I did that. That's the we've we are now on what show six of the batting order beat era. Yes, this is the first time I've called an MLB daily. Oh, yes, good uh, stuff, good stuff. It was yeah, a good old run, school, old school. Uh, the batter now is Orlando Arcia LJ. Uh, 0 and 1 count on him, he's two for three tonight. Ball high, okay, interesting. Rosario on second. I don't think they pinch ran for him. And LJ, what a big series just that we have, you know, uh, Padres, Braves, uh, an awesome matchup. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we're in a situation where we've ripped Major League Baseball for their scheduling a lot. Over the last couple of years, a lot. A and we lot. will continue to do so. Honestly, at some point here, we should probably make that an early season schedule, uh, part of our schedule, to just pick apart the scheduling again for this year. Because I'm sure there's a lot of things that make no sense. That Tampa getting to play like uh, the the biggest cakewalk of a schedule ever. I'm pretty sure the Red Sox are play are playing the biggest cakewalk of a schedule. Arcia singles into center. The throw home is up the line and not in time. It was very close. Arcia with the walk-off single. Rosario avoided the tag at home plate. The throw was almost towards the back part of where the dirt is for the batter's box, that little semicircle. Rosario was running so wide that he almost ran right into the tag, but it's Arcia. With the walk-off single for Atlanta, huge comeback win. They were down by uh, two going into the bottom of the eighth, and and they walk it off against San Diego to open up the first of what should be a very fun four-game series. Absolutely. But on that, speaking on that last conversation here, they have done a really good job of giving us early season major matchups. Like, the teams that we're expecting to be something, they they sprinkle in a couple of those early on in week on weekend sets just to get people talking, just to get people interested. This is one of them. A couple of years ago, they started really hyping up the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres with these early season weekend series. Um, try to say that one five times fast, but either way. Great, great game. Great, great work 
from Major League Baseball. But on the note of scheduling issues, Brandon, can you explain to me two things? Okay. One, why on earth at least Boston, I cannot confirm if this is other teams as well, but it makes sense seeing so many teams head today off. Or, excuse me. Rained no. out. Rained out today, most. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, no, what I actually meant is the Detroit getting fr- Friday, Monday. Yes, Friday, Monday off. Friday, Monday. Wow. 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 And it, was the game? The game was. Oh no! And you, no. you, you guys played today. Yeah, you played yeah. today. Friday, everything got played Friday, Monday off days. Makes they, to be fair, I mean, so they haven't had an off day yet this year, but also two off days in the span of four days seems a little extreme. At that point, yeah, it's just wasteful. Like, well, now I want to look at the rest of the Detroit schedule to see if there's a point where, like, they're playing like 30 days in a row or something because it's 162 games in 180 days. So you only get 18 off days for the whole year. And there's your, there's two of them right there. Let me look at their schedule and see. I tell you, did not realize that. Yeah. I was looking at it earlier for fantasy purposes and just way out in left field. So after these two off days, they then have an off day uh, Thursday, the 20th. Okay, so it's like a week and a half from then. Then they have in May. Oh, my God. Listen to this schedule, LJ. Oh, boy. So Thursday, May 11th, they have an off day. Okay. Okay. They play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday against Seattle. Wait, 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 hold up. Actually, back up. Because that is, let's remind ourselves, that is two, one, two, three whole weeks between off days there from 20th to the 11th yep okay so three whole weeks of no off days so off day on thursday traveling back from cleveland to detroit host seattle for three games okay okay hosting seattle for three games that would be the 12th 13th 14th yep mother's day against seattle yep Uh, off day on the 15th okay okay so that's, thinking, that's a week. That's not bad. Or yeah. half a week. That's still, that's so, basically so got, the same so, thing. So they had an off day. They had three games for Seattle and then they had an off day. That's the same thing as Friday, Monday, basically. Oh, oh no. Just wait. Just wait. So now you would think with this off day, um, LJ, they're going to travel somewhere, right? I would hope. <laughs> they are not traveling. As the Pittsburgh Pirates are coming to to town to play two games on the 16th and 17th. And then the Tigers have an off day. How many off days? I I lost count of, I was only looking at time. I lost count of how many off days, but I'm pretty sure you just listed like three, six or no. Yeah. So it's probably seven or eight of their 18 by the end of May, by the middle of May. So LJ, they have between Thursday May 11th and Thursday, May 18th, they play five games and have three off days. So then you must be thinking, LJ, they must be traveling far, right? If they have to have this, like, where where are they that weekend? This is the interleague with the Nippon League. 
game. That's yeah, what I'm this, thinking. Yeah, this is why why you'd ever put why you'd ever send Detroit to be your ambassador in Japan. I have no idea, but they're doing it. Well, unfortunately, they just have a short flight over to Washington uh, from Detroit. And then they do go on a stretch where they play for about two and a half, almost three weeks without an off day. But good God, LJ. I mean, three in the span of a week? You know what? I want someone to remind me when this is coming up because then I want to look at how they're playing during that. Because remember, there was like, it was at one point last year in the Yankee season, we had like three out of four days ended up being an off day because uh, we got rained out the first game back from the all-star break. Uh, oh, right, right. And then we had a scheduled off day that Monday and it was just, it was just a mess. Um, and the team came out flat because of it. I'm interested to see if something similar happens uh, with the Tigers here. I mean, historically, when we make notes on our calendar, we don't look at them until two weeks after and don't remember what that was about. So, I'm not going to be the one to do it, but if somebody else can remind Brandon. We'll figure it out. No, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, no, we, we will figure it out. Um, I have another point here on scheduling, which honestly, I want to know. We said we'll table this for a later date. We can't not, like, there's no conceivable way for me not to just rip into the MLB with this stuff because it's already, it's making my head hurt. Okay, can I, play like, a, can I play a devil's advocate here? I mean, I guess, but you're going to waste a lot of your devil's advocate that you could use on this next topic, but go ahead. I just feel, oh no, don't worry. I got plenty left. Um, Don't worry. Um, Making the schedule is incredibly hard. Like, obviously, like scheduling all this stuff. And then the, and then the cities have their rules and stipulations that, that you have to follow. And now they have to make all 30 teams play each other. Uh, Look, it's really hard. And yes, they have computers that do it and everything, but someone isn't going to be happy like at the end of it. Like there's no way you can make a schedule that perfectly accommodates everybody. Then you have to deal with cities that, uh, you know, you can't have a home. If you're the Tigers, whose baseball and football stadiums are right next to each other, you can't have a home baseball game and a home football game on the same day, right? Uh, or the uh, if you're in Philly, where they have all three of the other uh, major stadiums in one complex, you can't have those games on the same day uh, due to logistical reasons. So, look, I I get that it sometimes the schedule sucks. And it's fun to complain about because it's just like, yeah, like, I mean, I like crapping on the MLB as much as the next person does. But I do think with the schedule, we do have to take into account just the sheer challenge of creating it in the first place. No, I don't, because I've got three I've got three counters to your point. Okay, let's start with this for the first I'm going to save my favorite, my most important favorite one for last. Let's start with the easy one of the fact that there were were people who were doing this by hand and taking care with this well before the computers. Like, they were replaced by computers to do this schedule. And that's when things got worse. That's when things got the problem, become a problem. You are 
a major sports league in the United States of America. You have money. You can afford to have somebody whose sole job is to schedule for the next season and giving them eight months at least to figure out the entire schedule for these 30 teams. Two, the city thing, I I see what you mean, but it's such a non-factor. In terms of games, there's only like, there is a handful. Like you can count on your fingers. I can only think of two, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple teams that play on the same day every single year in, at home. The Nationals on July 4th. In right? the Sox. In the Sox. I can't think of another one, but I'm sure there probably is somebody, someone somewhere. I think the Reds have to play at home on opening day every single year. Um, there's, But see, that's what I'm saying is like there's a the bunch Subway of- series should be played – on 9-11 weekend every year, but that's that's in a conversation for another time because they they screwed that up already after a great time last year. Um, was it last year that they did the Subway Series then? Yes? Or is it two years ago? Yes, I, maybe. When are they doing it this year? I have not seen the dates for um, yet. Oh, we've got middle of June, two games. Okay. Anyway, the football argument here, that affects literally one month of the season. One month. I, I struggle to think that that's that much of a hurdle for them to overcome, especially when it comes to in that month. That would be a nice get, spot to throw a team some off days, right? Especially towards the end of the season. It's almost like you're throwing all a, a vast number of off, a gross, egregious number of off days at, these te- at a team like Detroit. In the same in the time that they don't actually need it. Okay, can I just ask a question though? What? Okay, so if you were in charge of making the schedule, LJ Lafiore, your title is now director of MLB scheduling. Okay. Okay. What are you doing? Like, what is wrong with the schedule, and what what would you do that's better than what they do right now? Um, and again, I'm gonna. I, I'm not trying to act like I know everything with this, but it's just a matter of logic base. I don't think that scheduling something this vast and especially a consumer entertainment product should be directly down to a computer. And that's all ultimately what it is with very few exceptions. And because there's such so few exceptions, those exceptions end up being part of the thing that breaks the model and breaks the schedule realistically you should be starting with all right what highly entertaining matchups do we want where and how do we fit that in and how do we make the schedule around that because you're starting with a blank canvas it may make things a little bit harder but there is no reason that you aren't capable of making yankees mets every single year the first week or the second week of september there is no reason that you can't you know easily get the Sox at home, Washington at home, Cincy at home. There's definitely other major rivalries that could have important dates and, you know, playing up those rivalries. There's no reason you couldn't put um, St. Louis, Chicago every year on Memorial Day. Like, let's actually play up these rivalries and put them into primetime spots year in and year out and get fans riled up with that um not nationalism but like 
that pride of this is our day, this is our big series, that I think will help the product a long way. That's a, an option here that you can only have with the human element. It's a good my, point. My co-host on, on the radio always says the nerds are what's ruining baseball. With the schedule, the nerds are 100% ruining baseball. It's a good point because you're right. Like other sports really do capitalize on um, like holidays, especially we have the Masters this weekend. You know, like it's Easter weekend. Uh, the NBA has owned NBA Christmas on years. Christmas has a stronghold. Uh, you know of the uh, of of those games. Um, NFL on Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think there's always a big boxing match on a Cinco de Mayo weekend. Uh, it's just kind of how it works. You know, the Kentucky Derby second uh, Saturday and our first Saturday in May, you know, like I do think that that's, that there is some things like baseball on July 4th that they should totally take that day over and make it, you know, I would even I would even be fine if there was more two game series just snuck in there with like obviously a limited travel afterwards just to kind of, I don't know, break up the season a little. Wouldn't, would it not be interesting if you played uh, three different teams in a week or potentially four, if you did three, two game series and then you started a three game series at the end of the week, would that be, would, would that not be the worst thing? Um, I feel like it'd be interesting and just seeing more, more matchups in general. Like I would, I'm down for all these random interleague matchups that we're going to get this year, because like historically before the nineties, there wasn't even any interleague play. These teams never played each other. So to give these franchises more of a reason to interact with each other, the fans, um, you know, you, Maybe we'll start to see like a weird interleague rivalry this year. Who's saying that that's not going to happen? But with the, I do think that the balanced schedule and playing every team is really good just because, you know, I would love and uh, I, I thought it was great on opening day. But if the Yankees and Giants turned into these teams that didn't that don't like each other, I, I think that that would be just great. It'd be interesting, especially with all their history that connects. Well, I also was going to bring up another spot that I think they could really capitalize. Dodgers, Yankees, Jackie Robinson Day every year. Yeah. Like, like or something, or I'm not saying necessarily the Yankees, but give a primetime selection to the Dodgers, whether it's something in, meaningful from Jackie Robinson's legacy or just another team that they would have on the kind of naturally occurring history and rivalry with. That would be really cool. Before we get into sipping sour grapes unless Brandon has something else. Oh, I had another thing actually after this, I have my last defense. We don't have to do this interleague thing. Yes. It'll be cool to see some fun, random things, but I honestly, I still have not bought in on this. I still feel like it's utter nonsense that we have to, every single team has to play each other every single year. Like, that feels extra. That's It still tears down the American and National League system, which I'm not quite ready for, and ultimately tears down some of the divisional rivalries or waters down the divisional rivalries as well, which generally hurts. And all of that would also make the scheduling a lot easier if you didn't have to do this, if you maybe had it be every other year 
because it certainly wasn't every other year in years past. But if it was every other year instead of every year, it would make things a lot easier on them. My other scheduling take here, as Brandon's now done his devil's advocate work for the night, I might, might have tuckered him out. I'm going to rip the New York Yankees. Oh, boy. The New York Yankees got a awesome start out of Johnny Brito last week. Awesome. Yeah. Honestly, I was very impressed. Yeah. I tweeted out with one of our baseball writers at Belly Up Sports' article, Eric Katz, where he's talking about he could become a you know potential mainstay of the rotation. And I'm like, that's great. Sure, they haven't been able to develop the ace, but it has been you know my young adult life. The Yankees have not been a team that is consistently producing solid starters year after year after year, like legit guys. They're not the team that produces them. They're the team that goes out and find been finding value. All of a sudden you have Nestor break out last year. You bring up a Johnny Brito this year. And then what do they decide to do? Toss away his start. Why did they toss away his start, Brandon? They tossed away his start because they had off days. And because of those off days, they could move down to a four-man rotation. Two things here. First off, this is wildly inconsistent with the New York Yankees we have known for years who go out of their way to rest their players at every mild inconvenience. Second, it's the first week of the season. It's the first week of April. Why are you going to a four-man rotation when you have the opportunity to save innings on your top guy's arms? You have opportunities to go in there and just keep, you know, keep everybody alive, keep everybody fresh. Instead, you're going to add an extra start to the majority of your rotation, all for no reason, as you pull a guy who probably could have easily gone out there and gotten you a win. Ridiculous. Okay. We're not, to be fair. To be fair. That, to that, be that's fair. the way to start this. You had to, I listened to Aaron Boone on John Boy's podcast, which is honestly great that we have actual fans like interviewing the manager once a week. Fantastic. Absolutely great. Anyways, LJ, it was a very smart thing to do because we get to have an extra reliever, which every team basically begs for and they wish that they had. Uh, we get to bring up Ian Hamilton who pitched nine scoreless innings in spring training for us. It's just making a little bit of a substitution, which is not that big of a deal. You know, we just traded for Colton Brewer uh, from Tampa Bay, who uh, I've been hearing some very good things about. LJ, I'm sure he was he was wonderful in Boston. Um, but very excited for Colton Brewer. Yeah, I mean, he pitched really well in his first – a few appearances for us or his first appearance for us guess what eventually johnny brito will be called back up it'll be in a couple weeks because the rays ruined that and you can't just send down and call up players uh like every other day you have to actually like wait a certain period of time which Um, also that that rule made no sense for anybody's purpose like i i never understood how that benefited the players yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Because most of those guys are staying on a taxi squad. They're not going back to actually on trip the AAA roster. They're not playing a ton of AAA games when they're not up. It's effectively a team 
making their roster a couple people larger. And so more guys are getting opportunities to accrue service time that aren't going to get that. They shot themselves in the foot with that. We never really got to talk about that too much. But LJ, that kind of seemed like you're uh, sipping sour grapes right there. You complaining about John. It Hill. did. That's a great segue here, Brandon. As you know, I am, I was, I was uh, complaining about Johnny Brito, and I'm going to complain about that too because they're both just such dumb situations. It's time for sipping sour grapes, our version of the Weiner line here on this show. If you still have anything to complain about, go ahead and drop that in the comments and we will get to it. We only have two outside of our own personal ones today. Brandon, do you have anything to whine about? The floor is yours. You know, honestly, not much. There's no, there's not much I can complain about. Um, but I guess from an MLB standpoint. Other than the outlet in your room. Yeah, other than, and, you know, that was at the beginning. Um, can, can I, like, and I get that this is a part of just how sports culture is now. But the overreactions in the first week of the MLB season that I see and these big media companies and Ben Verlander and all these but guys. I don't understand. Marcus Stroman's going to win MVP. Putting putting out their power rankings and all this stuff. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, it's we're six games into the season. Uh, can we slow down and just enjoy? You know, we don't need to be jumping on the – is, is, and, you know, uh, Kevin kind of alluded to it when uh, people are asking him, should I drop Sean Murphy in fantasy? Jesus, LJ, I wish that someone would drop Sean Murphy in fantasy. I mean, uh, please go do that. If, if you're really overreacting to what is a maximum of like 30 plate appearances for your favorite player or for any player for that matter, just slow down. They're, they're, they're going to get, uh, uh, you know, way way more and i guess that's just part of every sport is you know and now we love all the talking head arguing shows with the overreactions but just so early into the season some of this stuff it's like give it a rest baseball is the one sport where you need a big sample size to be able to justify any line of thought it seems i mean yes i think the big issue we have here is the hate because you want to just sit here and enjoy baseball for what it is at this point in the season and just be happy it's back. Part of that, too, can be living in the moment. If your team is 4-1 and one right now, you're pretty darn sure you're going to the World Series. And that's that's a fun way to live for a little bit. So I would never take that away from somebody. But a lot of the hate for an early struggling week, it does get to be too much because – these guys will probably have a lot worse struggles in June or July that no one will notice because the sample size on their season average and season stats is going to be large enough to make it less noticeable for people how bad you've been playing for like a two, three week stretch. So it's just a matter of, you know, being right at the right time. We had a comment earlier going all over um, Julio Rodriguez for MVP. He's another guy I don't think I don't actually feel has started that well. I mean, he lost, just like last year. Just let's like not last forget year. he's leading the league in strikeouts again at this point in the season. This guy clearly cannot develop his eye early enough into the season, but that doesn't mean that he's not, you know, 
a great player and necessarily an MVP candidate. Frankly, with the way he's playing and the fact that he still has an 833 OPS through the first week, that's some scary stuff. That's something to really be uh, concerned with. It's, oh, yeah. Um, LJ, what are your sip and sour grapes? Or do we have some some uh, listeners yeah, submitted? Um, we will get to the listener in a minute, or listeners in a minute, but my sipping sour grapes, right after I said, let's not overreact into the hate too early. This Red Sox defense might be the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Literally just the, exactly what I said. We got to chill with the overreactions. LJ comes I'm out. I'm pretty here. sure this – I'm pretty sure that this Red Sox team provides less defense than Ross's broken condom and friends. Okay, wait, question. On us okay. On a relative scale. Brandon's, Brandon's still trying to process what I just said there, but no, oh, no, I, I got it very, very well. Um what was worse? The 2020 Phillies bullpen or this year's Red Sox defense? Because the 2020 Phillies bullpen had like what it was one of the worst bullpen ERAs ever, if not the worst ever. Um could this be like catastrophically bad lj this could be catastrophically bad this is going to be the reason a major reason behind all of this team's failures and i i i mean this genuinely having watched them play it's not just incapability and i say this loving what adam duvall's done so far offensively he's been great he does not cover ground like a true center fielder because I he's can't not believe that, that you're playing him in center field. It's it's crazy. He's not. And so I sit I sat out in those bleachers watching him. The closest the first night, second closest the second night person to where I was sitting was him. And I'm like, I, I felt like a pretender watching him out there and saying that's our everyday center fielder. Like he just does not cover that ground. He's doing well with what he's got, but he doesn't cover that ground. Kike looks like a guy who has not played shortstop regularly in at least 80 years. And hopefully it comes back to him, but by the day I'm becoming less and less convinced. And that's without mentioning the million mental errors that almost solely lost us the Pittsburgh series. First night, you have Cutter Crawford rolling well. Gets one unlucky hit. Kike couldn't get to out in the outfield has that terrible error or look seemingly terrible error from Devers that gets the second guy on the truth of that whole situation was the wind that night was ridiculous and Yoshida or Kike should have been calling him off as they'd be running into the play and could be more better prepared to react to that ball changing than the guy who's been settled under it for a minute. Those are mental errors. Tristan Cash is a guy who has had a great plays with the glove this week, also being the same guy who threw to third base on an infield hit. They didn't get the they didn't get the runner. The first baseman standing right next to the bag doesn't touch the bag before going to third. It's this stuff, these little mental errors that should be, you know, worked out of you by the manager in the spring that are holding this team back because 
they've got don't have a good enough starting staff to be able to pitch well while all these things are happening around it. Like they need the rest of the team to step up and pull their weight in order for this rotation to be successful. And they're not going to be, especially when you have a pathetic excuse for a catching group. Reese McGuire is an awful. He stroked a ball the other day, LJ. I mean, he, he jacked it. I can't right now. I can't. I swear. I can't. But with that being, with that being said, he, he he can't throw down. Never really was able to before. Certainly can't now with guys running on running on first motion, and that's going to hold this team back. People want to steal on this Red Sox team. I mean, I can't seem to find any of these statistics off the, while I'm trying to talk. But you know, this is one of the worst the worst um, defensive run saves team out there. One of the worst. That's a phony stat. You don't got to worry about it. It's a phony stat. It was trying to tell me IKF was a good shortstop. And I was like, no. It's yeah, okay. but it can, it's really good at telling you who's bad. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. Tell no. you who's good. It's good at telling you who's bad. My, my favorite type of baseball stat is the one that fits my, my narrative. That's, that's kind of just the general philosophy. And honestly, though, but like ultimately, it's just so frustrating because here we are sitting in a world where defensive catchers are at a premium and the most important thing. And this group looks this bad when you easily could have paid for a really good defensive catcher out in the open market this winter. These guys should have known better than us how important the catcher would be this year. And yet we sit here with this. But those are my sour grapes. Brandon, any more thoughts? No, I think we should get to the few listener submitted ones and then let's get out of here. I just lost the submitted ones. There we are. Um, this is from our friends over at the Baseball and Whatever podcast. Padres fans should stop whining about how Eric Hosmer didn't live up to his contract. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I like that. I buy this. I, I 100% buy into this because two reasons. First off, your team is willing to spend money. So you've gotten enough contract hits in a good enough team that you don't need to rip the guy that wasn't worth it. Especially now that he's gone, it almost feels disrespectful because he, Eric Hosmer's the type of guy where I genuinely feel like tried his best. Yeah. It's not his fault that he was past his prime when he got there and honestly was given too good a contract by the Padres. That's the Padres' fault. Second, there's no impact on you. This team is not strapped for cash. This team is not worried to spend money because of this contract. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone out and gotten Machado, re-signed Tatis, traded and re-signed Darvish, traded for Soto, signed Bogarts. They keep making these moves. It's clear and ever-present sign that none of the things that happened with Eric Hosmer scared them off one bit. So you have no negative to it, and it's not really anyone's fault other than your own that there wasn't a positive to it. it. It's just a, it's a point for a, a group of people who don't have anything genuine to complain about right now. Cause life has been going so well. They also paid the Red Sox to take him off, off their books uh, at the end of the year. Remember yes. they, in that trade, they, they sent cash over. I just looked it up. Uh, you know, 
and everyone was like, why are the Red Sox doing this? Like, are they actually going to re-sign Eric Hosmer? It's like, no, the whole time they knew that if the Padres are basically paying us to, you know, uh, cover the rest of Eric Hosmer's contract, the Red Sox didn't have anything to really play for at that point. They're like, yeah, we'll take it because I believe you guys also got some other stuff with that. Yeah, two, two, two minor leaguers and cash. So the Red Sox were totally willing to take that that deal um and of course he was never especially going. seeing they didn't clearly care about the future of the franchise because they did nothing to get under the luxury tax last year right yeah uh, so i only was... i only get one sipping sour grapes a day a week yeah so i'll save that for next week but yes no i agree uh padres fans should not be complaining especially when you just spend all that money like stop all right next up 1420 sports bar podcast came on in here and said Baseball Hall of Fame voters who submit empty ballots drive me nuts. Brandon, your thoughts? Yes, you should. Me personally, I'm I'm not a small hall guy whatsoever. I think there's a lot of players that are deserving to get into the Hall of Fame. I found myself, I always do a ballot. It obviously doesn't count for anything. I use 10 pretty much every year. This year, you could have justified eight or nine, definitely, but I'm a big supporter in uh, using all your votes and strategically using votes to get guys above that 5% threshold, I think, needs to be used more. Because some of these guys, it's crazy that they don't even stay on the ballot uh, for more than a year when they're much more deserving than that. Yeah, I've given my take on the strategy of all of this plenty of times. I'm a firm believer that you don't need to be a Hall of Famer to be honored in the system. And not everybody who's honored should be in the Hall of Fame. But there is definitely something to be said for making it a second year on the ballot. That is a huge thing to me. To be able to be a, to, if I was a guy who didn't make the Hall of Fame, but I was good enough in my prime for people to say, okay, you deserve a second year on this ballot. Frankly, I think there have been some guys that have done, had an injustice done to them because this treatment wasn't given to them. In recent times, Tim Lincecum 100% goes into that conversation. With that being said, I, I tend more small hall than Brandon does when it comes to my legitimate votes. What I did was I went through, and I think I only ended up with three or four this year off the, top, off the top of my head that I genuinely felt like were Hall of Famers. Like actual guys who I wanted in the Hall of Fame didn't just want to stay out a year. And then the rest of my ballot ended up getting out to like eight or nine guys because of – the other situation, the other scenario where I'm trying to get guys on that ballot that extra year, that's where the majority of my votes went. And so ultimately, if you don't feel like anyone is a Hall of Famer, I'm going to stand by these people. Because if you don't think any of them are deserving of the highest honor in sports, then they aren't deserving. And you shouldn't feel like you are obligated to vote for just anyone. With that being said, the majority of this is just people seeking attention. I'm going to be flat out with that. 
because there are very few years where there's actually no one worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. I can totally get behind that. Uh, LJ, do we think we should call it quits? Unless I'm able to find my ballot here that I switched back, um, looked back quickly for, and I cannot. So, yeah, I think it's about time to wrap it up here. We hope you guys have enjoyed us coming on with this running just a little under two hours here. I know we've had a good time talking to everybody. Go ahead and follow both of our guests. Thank you again to Jaron and Kevin for coming on this week. And we will see you Monday, our next show. See you Monday. All right. See See ya.